0: Hey everyone, this is Masha Udensova brenner with the Harriman Institute's Columbia University. As promised, I'll be publishing episodes of our new podcast, Voices of Ukraine, in the Expert Opinions feed. Today we launched the first episode about our doctoral candidate, Serhiy Tereshenko, who's currently in Ukraine and can't leave because he's of fighting age. Here's his story.
1: We know that there are people who are lucky and those who are not lucky. Will I be the lucky one to survive and tell the story?
0: This is Voices of Ukraine, a podcast from the Harriman Institute at Columbia University. I'm Masha Densova brenner the Institute's media manager. We study Russia, Eurasia, and Eastern Europe. And since Russia started this war, we've been hearing a lot of first-hand accounts. Many of our colleagues are either in Ukraine or deeply connected to it. We'll bring you their stories every week. The voice you just heard—that was Sergei Tereshenko. He's a doctoral student in Columbia University's Slavic Department. He was living in cave working on his dissertation, when it became clear that Russia might invade Ukraine. He was also planning to get married on March 1st. For obvious reasons, that didn't happen. We spoke on Zoom a week after the wedding was supposed to take place. By that point, Serhii and his fiance had evacuated to Lviv in the west of the country. It's been impossible to get married since the war started, but on principle, Serhii decided to refer to his fiance as his wife. When did you first start realizing that all these threats, the military buildup, that this was all serious? When did it click?
1: Nobody believed that the war will happen. There was this feeling, this tension, the pressure from the media. I thought about going abroad, but it was unimaginable that it's going to happen. My wife is uh, a journalist, and she was the most skeptical. But on February 23rd, that's the day of the Soviet army, I was teaching a class in Ukrainian for foreigners.
0: It was a class for young children learning Ukrainian, and they hailed from all over the world. Sri Lanka, Poland, Romania. At the beginning of February, these children started disappearing, going back to their home countries. And on that day, Serhii noticed that the kids who remained were acting strangely.
1: All of the children were really violent. They were aggressive to each other, it was really hard to communicate with them. I had the feeling that something may happen now.
0: That same night, Serhii met up with some friends, a married couple. One of them is Japanese.
1: We had the conversation about what's going to happen. They were thinking about evacuating to Japan. The embassy was calling them a whole February, saying that you need to go out now. But they stayed. And I return to that conversation often, how hopeful we were.
0: Russia invaded Ukraine the next day and said so he started a journal on his computer. He recorded some of those entries for us, and you'll hear excerpts throughout the episode.
1: February 24th, day one. At 5 a.m., we're half wakened by blasts. Kyiv is being attacked. I thought that I had a dream, but I looked into the window and I saw people walking on the street and then I heard more bombings and they started running. We dashed to my fiance's workplace, a television station, to check out what's going on. We took a subway to her work, Suspilna Media, it's the only state channel. They believed that they will continue broadcasting. She didn't want to leave because she thought that she'll have to go back to work. But next day the place around the TV station was bombed and they closed the channel. In five days, they bombed the TV tower. It's exactly where Suspina Media is. We went back home after work. We went to a supermarket to buy some water. The shelves were already empty. There was nothing to buy except chocolate. There was no water. There was only soft drinks. We returned to the apartment and we heard planes and bombings again. We ran into the basement and we thought, what are we going to do? We thought about staying in the basement, but this is not a true shelter. It's actually gas and hot water pipelines. So it's even dangerous to be there because once a bomb uh, hits the building, we would die there in 10 minutes.
0: On the second day, Serhi and his wife decided to go to her parents' house in the suburbs outside Cave. Public transportation was dead. The metro stations had turned to bomb shelters. Taxis and marshrutkas had disappeared. And traffic in the city was at a standstill. They were lucky. The walk to the suburbs only took 30 minutes.
1: February 25th, day two. We wake up at 4.20 a.m. in a shaky house owing to two massive blasts. Two
0: big explosions woke them up before dawn.
1: We were on the second floor and running to the basement. My body was collapsing. I've never experienced anything like this. Uh, Super high blood pressure. Impossible to relax, to do anything, and it's just mental. People claim to have seen missiles all throughout Kiev. It's difficult to tell what the bombed objects are. If you're at home or at a shelter, The government recommends turning off the lights. And
0: what was going through your mind in those moments?
1: The darkness was the scariest thing. I didn't know what's going to happen when I fall asleep. February 26, day three. How does it feel to be attacked by a force of 150,000 soldiers? The siren is blaring over and over. Missiles are visible in the sky.
0: They would hear explosions drawing closer and closer.
1: My heart is aching. I take a second painkiller because the first one isn't working. We erected barricades around the windows. But there's still a chance that glass will fall in and slit our necks. We cover ourselves up to our chins.
0: The next day, Vladimir Putin ordered Russian nuclear forces to be put on high alert said he said that he felt relief.
1: If he just launches uh, a nuclear rocket, then it doesn't matter whether I wake up or not.
0: So you actually felt relief at this.
1: Paradoxically, yes. To die without pain is better than just die without being able to try to survive.
0: That same day, the fifth day of the war, Serhi's father called and said that U.S. officials were warning about intensified bombings on CAVE. He begged he to evacuate. His father asked he if he really wanted to spend the coming years surviving in a basement the way people had been forced to survive the bombings in Sarajevo years before.
1: My wife was skeptical. She didn't want to leave. And we checked the news and we saw how Kharkiv was bombed. The city hall was completely destroyed by a direct hit. And she said, OK, we're leaving anywhere, in any direction. And she has a sister, and in one minute, They decided that she should go with us.
0: How old is she? 16. And the parents didn't go with you?
1: My wife's father is a priest and he has service and lots of people die and they need this support. So he just does not consider to leave. Despite its dangers, they're really close to the places where military actions happen and I'm really concerned. I'm scared for them, but I understand the duty that her father has It's important because it's psychological. People need to feel support that they're not abandoned.
0: Serhii's parents, who lived nearby in the cave suburbs, didn't want to evacuate either.
1: They didn't want to evacuate until we said that we are evacuating. And uh, they were really lucky to go to my grandmother's house, 30 kilometers from Kyiv.
0: And has there been any shelling in that area?
1: No, there are different problems there it's really hard to uh, get food and it's almost impossible to get cash so they really have problems with supplies but it's better than being bumped day six the first of march has arrived my wedding day which has been postponed to an unknown date we decide to depart within an hour we pass a number of checkpoints and concrete blocks that serve as roadblocks the highways are closed, we are at metro station and we check with the guy with a yellow ribbon on his hand where the trains run. For the past two hours, he says, there have been no trains and my wife's father is willing to use his last gas to get us to the railway station. We are about to leave when the train arrives. We can get closer to the main station in Kiev, where a train to Lviv is ready to depart. We were extremely lucky to get on it. It was just like a matter of minutes. We got in, it was flooded with bodies. There was no space to move. It was stopping everywhere to pick up more people who were storming the train. People were crying, there was hysteria. It was an experience that I will never forget. The train makes a single inch of progress. People knock on the door, pleading for us to open it. The door swings open. More people rush on. I'm on the verge of losing my balance. Yet there is nowhere to fall. There was nothing to breathe, just really hot air. Some people were nervous, aggressive. We were surrounded by many foreigners. I think they also believed that the invasion will not have that impact. It's just something psychological about people trying to postpone the decision, trying to believe that it's not gonna be that bad, that they still can remain in the place. But when the bombings increased, everyone realized that sooner or later, they may be shelled. Buildings were hit. People were dying in their apartments. Children were dying during the sleep.
0: The train ride took 10 hours. They stood the entire way, squished together like sardines. And when you evacuated, that was supposed to be your wedding day.
1: Exactly, yes.
0: And, and what were you planning for your wedding?
1: We wanted a, a small wedding with our family, with some friends. We had a plan and my wife wanted to make beautiful hair. She had her dress ready. I had my shirt. We had a photographer. We actually planned to have a small wedding right now and then to take a huge celebration in summer. We were really looking forward to it. And I think that probably we really believed even when the war started that it's going to happen, that it cannot be interrupted.
0: But of course, everything was interrupted. When they finally arrived in Lviv, serhii his wife, and her sister were taken to a music school. They settled together in a student dormitory, a room meant for three students.
1: I think they all left when the invasion started to free space for us, for all the runaways. And their stuff is still here, in this room, in wardrobes.
0: He took me on a tour through the computer screen.
1: We also have a piano here. We have different hands-outs on history of Ukraine.
0: He showed me two twin beds pushed together where he and his wife sleep, huddled against each other, bundled in their clothes from the day because it's so cold. There's an armoire with a big Ukrainian flag that Serhii's wife bought in cave, draped over the doors. And a corkboard with little notes on it that's used by the students to prepare for exams. Serhii and his family are among the 60 or so displaced individuals living in the building.
1: We get uh, a free dinner. The principal of the school is really kind to us. Of course, we are concerned about needing to leave the place because people are coming and coming and uh, some of them are leaving for the border. I cannot cross because I am a man and every man from 18 to 60 has to stay with no exception. And those who want to be an exception, they go through hell and they suddenly become drafted for for trying to, to run away. So we, we are concerned about every day, what's going to happen next.
0: What do your typical days look like since you've arrived in Lviv?
1: There is no comfort even in being in a safe place. We wake up to sirens. It's really hard to keep hygiene. We always have to hunt for food. Sometimes we just cannot even have tea because there is no water supply. You know, um, there, there is a new type of economy. You, you can get something for free, but besides that, there is nothing else.
0: The Slavic department at Columbia collected money for Serhii and his family.
1: I'm really thankful to everybody who contributed and who helped me with this. I cannot actually withdraw this money, but at least I know that I have them, that at some point I will not die because I don't have money. Most of people I know They lost the track of time. They don't know what day it is, Monday, or is it March the 8th? It's also a question of how to be useful. Lots of people have guilt for not being on the front line. Me too. Everyone tries to volunteer in their own way. I had several episodes of sobbing because it's really hard to do enough.
0: How is your wife... And her sister, how are they handling all of this, the evacuation, the bombing?
1: The sister, I I find that she's much more optimistic and uh, cheerful than we are. She does not understand completely what's happening. And for her, it's like an adventure.
0: Serhi's sister-in-law would like to go to Israel, where her mother has friends.
1: We tried to do it through the synagogue in Lviv. But it came out that they just bring people to the border and it's really hard to cross the border back. So my wife cannot go with her and we will never risk let her go on her own. So she will stay with us. We try to support each other. We just try to be a family.
0: When they left home, Serhii and his wife packed in haste. There was no time to prepare to think things through. By some miracle, their wedding rings managed to make it into his wife's cosmetics bag. But there were many things they forgot or simply couldn't fit.
1: We left a lot behind. We left our lifestyles, our comfortable apartment, the books that I need for my research, the books that I bought to read. I felt really comfortable in Kiev. But now I don't think we're going to return. Uh, Realistically, I think that it's going to be this active stage and then we'll have lots of diversions and terroristic attacks until the Russian army suffocates itself. We believe uh, in victory, there is no doubt, but we also understand that it can take a lot of time.
0: Said he wants to get back to the United States. He still has a student visa, but he isn't a U.S. citizen and he can't leave Ukraine because he's of fighting age. Even if he did get out, his wife wouldn't be able to join him unless they were officially married, which has proven impossible to accomplish under martial law. Still, said he hopes they can make it over here eventually.
1: So we can have a home. So we can start a life when we take off clothing to sleep, where when we, we are not afraid to die, when we are not afraid that today is gonna be the last safe day that we will have time to plan and dream, because it's really hard to do it here.
0: Thank you so much, Serhii. Stay safe and stay strong.
1: Thank you, Masha. I appreciate that. Bye-bye.
0: Since arriving in Lviv, Serhii has stopped keeping a written diary. He's running a video blog on YouTube instead. It's called Russian Invasions Globally. He's also started a website where he publishes political essays about the invasion and Russian imperialism. You can find the link in our show notes. Ten days after I spoke with Surhi, two Russian cruise missiles hit targets near Lviv International Airport. The following week, more rockets exploded in the city's outskirts, not far from Poland. I emailed he to check in. He says the air raid sirens are constant now. Information is harder to come by and, once again, his family's spending much of its time hiding in a basement. The day of the second attack on leave, they'd been down there for five hours and heard six explosions. he says he feels lucky that he's been able to stay focused and continued to work on his dissertation. We're waiting for this to end, he wrote but it seems that there's no end to it. Thanks for listening to Voices of Ukraine, a new podcast from the Harriman Institute at Columbia University. Tune in next week to hear from our alumna, Maria Chuknova. I got my phone, my hands were shaking. My husband, who is American, was asking me what's going on, what's happening, and I couldn't say a word in English. That's just a taste of what's to come. I'm Masha Udenceva-Brenner. This episode was written and produced by me and edited by Ann Cooper, with editorial help from Jordan Waller. All the music here and in our trailer is by Ivan Nebesny a Ukrainian composer who's still in Ukraine. We wish him safety and strength. The cover art is by Victoria tentler krilov A huge thanks to Ann Cooper for the edits and guidance on the series, and to Daniela Larkon for his advice on the series and edits on the trailer. Also to Jordan Waller, who's been invaluable throughout this process. And to Marko Andrejcik, Zan Faber, Carly Jackson, Ala Rochkov, and Alex Turek. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, we'd really appreciate a review. Until soon.